How many of y'all know that we are made new in Christ? Thank you, Jesus. Some of us, we needed to be, we needed, we needed to be changed. We needed to be made new in Jesus' name. Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter 3, he says, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. We, we must be born again. And, you know, a lot of people kind of get sideways with that phrase, born again. They think it's a, you know, what, you know, a religious thing or whatever. And it really makes perfect sense when you look at the way Jesus explained it to Nicodemus. Read the Bible, and you've heard me say this before. The Bible tells us if we remain in Adam, which all of us are born of Adam, Every single person that has ever lived on the earth is, is, is com, comes from Adam. If we remain in that condition, we are dead in our sins, the Bible tells us. So Jesus said you must be born again, born again not of the flesh but of the Spirit, born again by the, by the Holy Spirit. So um, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and the new life has begun. See, we are, we are changed. We are, we are made new. And that's really what the born-again experience is. It's like a Nicodemus really thought, and I said this before to our church, if that would have been the first time someone would have told you, you must be born again, then you would have said the same thing Nicodemus said. He thought that Jesus was really telling him you had to go back again into your mother's womb to be born again. But Jesus was using it as an analogy in the spiritual sense to say that everything you do now, you got to learn all over again in Christ. You become a new a, a baby. You learn everything just as if you were born again as a as a child or as a as an infant. So, but thank you, Jesus in Christ, we are made new. All things have become new. The Bible says, and we we are a new person. We talk different. We act different. We think different. We we should be completely changed from the inside out. We should be new new people. We. We have a purpose now, the Bible says, and it's not to please ourselves, but it's, but it's to please God. And the Bible says that we do not belong to ourselves, that, that we were bought with a price. You, you now belong to God. And, you know, I think a lot of these things, you know, Christians don't really completely understand when they get saved. They, they get excited about Jesus, and that's good, and they get forgiven of their sins, and that's good. But really, when you got born again, you gave your life to God. You surrendered your life to him. You know, we, we become bond servants to, to God. We become, we become slaves, not slaves to sin, but slaves to, to obedience, which the Bible said leads us to righteousness. So we, we belong to God. But God, thank you, Jesus, he didn't leave us in ourselves and in our own strength. God gave us the power that we need to accomplish his will and his purpose. In Acts 1.8 it says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And I'm continuing a series, it's a three-part series I began last week called The Day of Pentecost, and this will be part two, which I've titled Witnesses for Christ. And, um, you know, Jesus, really, when you, when you look at the the, the message that Christ gave to his disciples and gave to the church, the, the message and the purpose of the church is pretty simple. It's, it's very concise. We, we've made it a lot of things, I believe, God never intended for it to be. But, but Jesus, Jesus said, you will be my witnesses. You, you will be a witness. Or you will witness for me for, or testify for me. And first he said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And God was telling us that for us to accomplish this, 
is not going to be done in our own strength. My understanding, my reasoning is going to be done by the power of the Spirit and the, the power of the Holy Spirit. So um, I'm just going to recap the message last week, just to kind of, some people may be in here that didn't hear the message last Sunday, but um, the last week's message I entitled The Coming of the Holy Spirit, and it's, it's Acts chapter 2, and we're going to look at more of Acts chapter 2 today. I won't be able to read the whole chapter. I would encourage y'all to go home and maybe go read the whole Acts chapter 2 and um, kind, of, kind of get the whole, what, what that's saying there. But last week, these are the verses that I covered here. It says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And last week I shared with you all, and I think this, this is very interesting, the day of Pentecost, and a lot of people believe, I think when you read Acts chapter 2, you assume that the day of Pentecost was given that name because that's the day the Holy Spirit came. But if you study scripture, you found out that the Jews were really gathered together for the day of Pentecost. It was a, it was a day that, that, that goes all the way back to, to the Old Testament, it was a, a, a time of festival. It was a harvest of the first fruits, a harvest of the weeks, a feast of the weeks. It was a, a time for the Jews to come together and really celebrate everything that it is that God had done for them, the, choosing them to be, to be a nation, giving them their, their laws, freeing them from, from Egyptian bondage and slavery. So they, they were gathered together. So the day of Pentecost was the day the Holy Spirit came, but it really was the day of Pentecost, if you follow what I'm saying. It was, it was that day. And what is very interesting about this, the, the Jews in the Old Testament celebrated the day of Pentecost 50, 50 days after Passover. They, they celebrated the Passover celebration, and then Pentecost was celebrated 50 days afterwards. Well, the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 was 50 days after the resurrection and crucifixion of Jesus Christ which he was the Passover lamb. We know that. that. Yeah. So everything in the Old Testament, and this is so important for us to understand, everything that was done in the Old Testament was a shadow of things that were better to come in Christ. So it was Jesus was fulfilling everything that God was doing in the Old Testament, and Christ, of course, made them better. Some translations in Acts chapter 2 said, when the fullness of Pentecost came. In other words, so what the, what the Bible is saying is, the, the day of Pentecost that was celebrated in the Old Testament was only a shadow of the better things yet to come. Yeah. The Holy Spirit had not yet been poured out on the earth and on, on God's church. So um, that's important for us to understand. So the word Pentecost in the, in, the, uh, in the Greek means 50th. So it's 50 days after. So I just think, again, this is so important for us to understand these things because as New Testament Christians and charismatic Christians, we... We can get all, you know, wound up in emotional things, and sometimes God wants to just kind of pull us back down and get us grounded. Okay, this is what the Bible says. This is the truth of what, of what, of what Scripture says. And I shared this last week. Our, our sign in the front says that we are a, we are a spirit-filled, non-denominational church, and we're spirit-filled. 
well, we're not spirit-filled because that's what the pastor says about this church or that's what this church believes. We're spirit-filled because that's what the Bible says. Okay, that's what it is. So we're not like, well, this is what our church is and your church isn't. No, this is what God says, that we are, we are spirit-filled. So, so last week I just uh, I covered um, in those four verses that Jesus promised that he would send the Holy Spirit. It was a, it was a promise to us. He told the disciples they were all distraught that Christ was going to be leaving them, as I think any of us would have been if we would have spent that much time and that close to Christ. They, were, they, were, they couldn't believe that Jesus was leaving. But Jesus said, it's actually better that I go. Because if I go, I will send the promise that the Father said, the promise of the Holy Spirit, that the Bible says now, Jesus said, now he is with you, but soon he will be in you. See, so everywhere that, that Jesus could be now, the Holy Spirit could be with us at, at the same time in many different places at all times. So the word, the word is paraclete, for, for, which, which means someone just like Jesus that would be with us, alongside of us. So, so that was a promise. Jesus said he would be a counselor, he would be a comforter, he would be a teacher, all those different things. Thank God for the Holy Spirit that, that God has given, to, given us that. And then Pentecost... Unleash, unleash the power of the Holy Spirit. And really the day of Pentecost was the birth of the church. The church was birthed that day. That, that, that was the beginning of the church. And I said this last week, we are, for all practical purposes, a continuation of the book of Acts. Nothing has changed. God never said, these things are just for the book of Acts, and I'm going to draw a line right here, and then those things are going to stop, and y'all do this. It doesn't say that. We're a continuation of, of, of that. So uh, we were given the authority and the power by Jesus to accomplish God's purpose here on earth. And then Pentecost is for every believer. See, some people say, well, I don't believe in the Holy Spirit or I don't believe in the Holy Spirit the way you believe in the Holy Spirit. Well, we got to go, what does the Bible say? And the Bible says they were all filled. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. So Sometimes we approach the subject of the Holy Spirit. Some of us can, can be intimidated by it. We're not familiar with that. You know, we've heard different things and all that kind of stuff. That's why it's so important for God to take us back. What, is the, what does the Bible say? Not what have I heard? What is all these people doing about it? What, is the, what does the Bible say about, about the Holy Spirit? So why was the Holy Spirit given? We, we need to ask ourselves, what was the purpose of the Holy Spirit? Many charismatics believe that the Holy Spirit was given to speak in tongues, that that was, that was the purpose and the reason for the Holy Spirit. That's not the reason for the Holy Spirit. That was, a, that was evidence of the coming of the Holy Spirit or a manifestation of the Holy Spirit, but the Bible doesn't, doesn't tell us that was the reason or the purpose. And what we do, if we, if we narrow it down to just that one thing, we miss the whole part of what it is the Holy Spirit's role is. The Holy Spirit plays a role. There's the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There's the Trinity. There's three in one. But it's extremely important for us to know that the Holy Spirit has a role and a purpose in the Trinity. And we're going we're gonna to look at that a little bit here this morning. So, um, so it's imperative for us to understand that the, the role um, in the Holy, of the Holy Spirit goes beyond uh, speaking in tongues. Um, Jesus said that when you receive the Holy Spirit, you would, be, you would do what? You would be my witnesses. In other words, God has given us power to be witnesses for Christ. 
that, in other words, I can't do this on my own. And, and in the flesh, the flesh doesn't want to do it. That, that we don't want to do the things that God wants us to do. We need the Holy Spirit to enable us, to prompt us, to push us out, to do the things the flesh doesn't want to do. But Jesus made it clear, you will receive power. And then he said what? You will be my witnesses. That, 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 that's very concise. That's very clear what Jesus, what Jesus says there. So he said the Holy Spirit would give us power to be witnesses to telling people about him everywhere. That's what God wants his church to do, is to tell others about Jesus. Okay, so that, that, that's it. So Acts chapter 2 illustrates, I believe, the role and the purpose of, of the Holy Spirit. And uh, we're going to look at that here, and we're going to read the first part of this in verses 11 through 21. In Acts chapter 2, it says, Both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour up my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour up my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, you can see this. The Bible says when the Holy Spirit fell on the day of Pentecost, there was a sound of a rushing wind. It was a violent sound of you know, and, and they said the people rushed there because they heard this, this great sound. And then as they got there, they began to hear these tongues, these different voices of different languages. And some of them they could recognize. It was hearing the, the, their, their native language, the, the, their, native way, their native way of speaking. And they, they said, what would this mean? And some of them actually thought that the, the disciples and the apostles were drinking, that they were, they were, they were drunk. And I'm here to tell you, when you get changed by Jesus and you begin to act the way the Bible tells us, people are going to think that you were drunk. That we are, The Bible says we are strangers and aliens in this, in this world. You need to act in such a way that maybe people don't accuse us of being drunk, but you need to be accused of being different. That there's something different about you. That, you, that we stand out. That, that there's something that's different about us. And uh, so, that, 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 so they, they thought... They thought that they were drinking, but and um, so, but this message, when we read this message here in Acts chapter two, was really in effect the first sermon ever preached. Um, you go back and look at the Gospels. Jesus, Jesus taught the people, and you could say as Jesus was teaching, he was he was preaching them. But really, this is the first message preached after the coming of the Holy Spirit or the beginning of the church. So, as a pastor and as a Christian. I think it's imperative for us to go back and look at what it was that was said for that first sermon. Because obviously what was spoken there 
was very important. <laughs> you know, if, if it was the first thing. So, um, so the church, I believe, here was, was birthed here, and I believe the message that, that was spoken here in Acts chapter 2 gives the, the church a copy or a, or a blueprint or an outline of what it is that God has called us to do because it's so important for us to understand that. So um, let's see what the Holy Spirit's coming brought to the church. That's what we're going to look at here this morning. In verse 14, it says, Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his, uh, raised his voice and addressed the crowd, Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. So the first thing I see here in this message is there's boldness. There's boldness to the believer. And the Bible, the Bible says here that Peter stood up. And if you read the Gospels, this is not uncharacteristic of Peter. And Peter really, if you think about it, he could, he could be the poster child for putting your foot in your mouth. And uh, because he was always the first, and, but, but you got to give it to him. He was, he was like, he wasn't afraid to speak up, but he was always the first one to say, to say something. Remember when Jesus told the disciples that he was going to be arrested, that they were going to flog him, they were going to beat him, and they were going to crucify him. And what did Peter, Peter, what did Peter, he's the first one to say, what he told Jesus? That's never going to happen. He said, you know, and really, in Peter's defense, Peter loved Jesus to the point where he didn't want to see Jesus suffer like that. But Peter just, just right away, Peter's first thing, he just opened up his mouth, the first thing, that, that'll never happen, Lord. That, that's never going to happen. And what did Jesus tell Peter? Get behind me, Satan. <laughs> he rebuked him. Not because he had, a, he, he had a love for Christ, but he was standing in the way of God's purpose for what, for what God had called Christ to do. Christ knew he came to die. He, he came to die on the cross. So, so Peter, P P Peter said that. Um, so, but Peter, if you read the Gospels, when Jesus was walking on water, remember the disciples were in the boat and Jesus was come walking on water. Who was the only one to get out the boat? Peter got out the boat. And Peter walked on water. Now he did sink, but before he sunk, he walked on water. Now I don't think any of us here have ever walked on water before. So, so Peter, Peter did those, those things. And um, Peter was the first one to declare when Jesus asked, he said, who do men say that I am? And they said all the different things and then Jesus asked the disciples, who do you say that I am? Peter, Peter, Peter said, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God, which he was very accurate. And the Lord, Jesus told him upon this rock, which upon this statement, upon this fact that you have declared, I will build my church, the, the, the Lord said. So, but, but Peter was also the one who, who um, prayed his faith would not, would not fail. Peter um, told the Lord, he said, Lord, I am ready to go to prison and to death with you. The, the, Jesus, the, Peter told Jesus that he was willing to die for him, that there was nothing that would ever prevent the, the, uh, him from, from going all the way with, with Christ. And Jesus told Peter, um, this very day before the rooster crows three times, you will deny that you even knew who I was. And if you read the scriptures, Peter did in fact deny Christ. He, he, he denied him. He was, if you, what, what changed though? See, before, when Peter was so bold, Jesus was a free man. He was walking around, walking around doing all these things as a free man. But now Peter was standing there, and these guards and all these soldiers came, and what did they do? They arrested, they arrested Jesus, and they led him away. So now Peter understood, uh-oh, you know, this is one thing when Jesus was a free man, but now there's a, there's, a, there's a possibility that I might 
I might get arrested or this, I could die or whatever. So fear came upon Peter and, and he, he actually denied that he even knew he even knew who Christ was. But now we look here in Acts chapter 2 and then it says, but Peter stood up. What, what changed here in Acts chapter 2? What was different? He saw that Jesus was, was in fact crucified and Peter knew he was resurrected, but Jesus did suffer. What changed here in Acts chapter 2? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came, and Peter all of a sudden received the spirit of boldness. Now, 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 now Peter, was, Peter was bold, and he said to these men, he said, listen carefully to what I say. There was, there was no reservation. There was no um, you know, hesitation. He was like, this is, what, this is the truth of what the Bible says. And there was a spirit of boldness that came upon Peter. I came across this when I was studying for this. Uh, Matthew Henry said this in his commentary on this. It says, Peter's sermon only is recorded to be an evidence for him that he was thoroughly recovered from his fall and thoroughly restored to the divine favor. He that had sneakingly denied Christ now as courageously confesses him. Amen. I love that. Amen. What a change. That, that, that Peter went from a denier to a defender, that, you know, from, from someone who was afraid and a, and a coward, now that he's willing to stand up and to be bold and to be bold and stand for Jesus. And see, Peter was now filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. He was filled with the spirit of boldness. And I believe um, this, this should be uh, one of the characteristics of our lives as Christians. There should be a spirit of boldness inside of us. If, if we've received Jesus, if we've been baptized with the Holy Spirit, there should be the, the character of boldness that, that is evident inside of our lives. We are, we are, now, we are now bold. Amen. And um, so, you know, a lot of times, and this has happened to me in my life, where, you know, you'll encounter a situation and you'll say something for God that you never intended to say. You, you, it'll, it'll be like, where did that come from? And I've had that happen to me before, and I've shared this story with y'all before. We were, we, we were living in Violet before Hurricane Katrina, and a family was, was coming by. It was, it was a Jehovah's Witness family, and it was a couple of ladies, and they had their children with them. And I'm out in my garage, and they out there doing that, and I you know, tried to witness to them and, and tell them tell them it was Jesus. And basically I told them, I, just, you know, I could have just said, look, I don't believe in that, Goodbye, have a good day, you can go your way. But the Holy Spirit just rubbed them inside of me and said, tell them that what they're doing to their children is wrong. Mm -hmm. That those children don't have a choice but to follow what mama does. And, they, and, and so I looked at her and I said, what you were doing to your child is wrong. I said, you were showing th this child something that is false, that is not true. And that child doesn't have any other choice to make but to follow what you believe in. That was a, it was a spirit of boldness that came out. It wasn't, wasn't something I planned on saying. It, it, was, just, it was just enacted by, by the Holy Spirit. Then last night, we were, um, we were at Cracker Barrel with, with Lee's kids. With, it was Ava, Emery, and Levi. Because and, every time we take them out like that, it's a big show when you go. The people around the tables, they like to look. And, you know, I always tell Lori, I, want, I said, I always ask Lori, I said, I wonder if they think, we the parents or we the grandparents? I, I like to think that we do, they think we the parents, but they probably think we the grandparents, and, I, and that's all right. So anyway, we're sitting there with Levi, you know, he's turning around, he's looking at different tables and all that kind of stuff, and, and all that kind of stuff, and there was a couple that had came and sat down, and, and we, I, the way I was sitting, I was facing directly at them, and they were sitting, and they were kind of waving to Levi and, and all that kind of stuff. So we were just sitting there having our meal, 
And toward the end of the meal, when they were about to leave, the lady looked at me and she says, she says excuse me. She goes, do you live around here? And I said, yes, I, I do live around here. She goes, do you know, she was very specific, exactly what she says, do you know what, if, if they have, a, if they have a, a Catholic church that's local, that's nearby? So I paused for a second, you know what I said? Why, so why'd you ask me that? So I said, I said, well, and I really, I mean, I really couldn't think of any. I, I don't know the names of those. I, I don't, so I, I just kind of hesitated for a second. I just hemmed and hawed a little bit, and I said, well, I said, I said, I said, I'm a pastor. I said, I said, I, I, I pastor a church. I said, it's a, it's a non-denominational church right here. She goes, oh. She goes, oh, well, she goes, you know, she goes, it doesn't matter. She goes, all, all the churches, all the churches are the same. And she pointed up and she goes, it's all the same God. So I said, I said, they're not all the same. <laughs> you know, I said, I could have just, I could have just kind of just nodded with her, whatever. I just looked at it. We didn't get into a, and she wasn't being combative at all. She would just be like, she says, oh, she goes, oh, no, that, that's fine. She goes, all, all churches, they're all the same. I said, no, they're not. They're not all, they don't all teach the same thing about what the Bible says, about who God is. They're not, they're, they're not all the same. So anyway, I, she asked what time the service was, and I, they were in town from Abbeville. They were visiting, and she, she said they had something to do at, at 10 o'clock this morning, so she couldn't, they, they, they couldn't make it. But, but I believe, and I really believe this, that, that sounds simple what I said, but if you think about this, they're from Abbeville, we're from Covington, we came there that night, and they happened to sit right there, I got to believe that something that happened in that exchange stirred something up in her. I just have to believe that. Because when we, after she said that, and it's almost like the husband had to say this, but she's like, he, he, goes, he goes, she's Catholic and I'm Lutheran. I'm like, well, who's Christians in the room? I'm a Christian. I mean, like, you know, we're Catholic and Baptist and Lutheran. Well, who's Christian? I'm a Christian. That's all I care about, you know. But, but anyway, I just really believe that, that those kind of encounters are not... They're not accidental. It's not an accident that, that God does that. So we have to be sensitive, you know, when those things come up. And obviously she didn't know she was asking a pastor about a church. And I'm like, well, I, I know a, a good church that you could visit if you want. I happen to pastor one, you know. And So anyway, um, there's, a, there's a spirit of boldness. Acts chapter 4, verse 31 says, After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Now, the scripture does not indicate that the apostles or the disciples asked for boldness. They, they don't, it doesn't say that. The Bible says when the Holy Spirit came, they did what? That you, they were bold. In other words, now I'm not saying we don't ask for boldness. I believe we need to ask God to take us to a place where we, where we are, in fact, bold for him. But the Bible says... That, that, that you are bold. So really, if you think about it, boldness is really not needed right here on Sunday mornings in this room. I mean, I guess it took a little boldness to wake up and drive here and come here, but really, if you think about it, I don't need a lot of boldness here. Where do I need to be bold? Out there. That, I, need, I need boldness when I'm confronting someone that's not a Christian or when I'm witnessing for Jesus Christ. So if you think about it, Boldness is activated when we open up our mouth and speak for Jesus. In other words, it's not, God's not just going to, he's not going to force you to speak for him. He's not going we to, have, we have to be obedient to what the Bible says. But I believe, and I've experienced this in my life, when I've been obedient and I've opened up my mouth and spoke for Jesus, guess what followed or was right there alongside of it? Boldness. 
And a lot of times there was things that I said that I didn't even intend on saying, that the Holy Spirit just gave, gave a word at that time that was appropriate to speak at that time. So if you want boldness, then you got to find opportunities to activate boldness. Does that make sense? In other words, if I just say, well, I'm going to come to church every week and I'm going to sit here, and this is great, I want, I want this place to be full. But if all we did as Christians was come and sit here on Sunday mornings, to me, I never really activated boldness. It was, I worshiped and I encouraged and all those different things, but the boldness happens out there. And that's one of the things that God showed my wife and I both when we, we, we took over as pastors of this church five years ago, that God said, get into the community, you know, go out there. And I really did that, you know, for two reasons. Number one, I wanted to, to, to witness. We, we need to witness for Jesus. But the other thing I did is I believe if we, plan things on a corporate level that gave the church an opportunity to go and do these things in neighborhoods like this, it would make us more confident. Because if you never have an opportunity to exercise that, you'll, you'll never, you, you, you won't be confident in doing that. So I remember Paul, um, when Paul came, and Paulie, when we went um, with Pastor Keith Hodges that came, and I remember Paulie was saying, man, he's loving this, and all of it. it was like the first time they'd ever done that. And it's just like you got to get out of your comfort zone. But, but the Bible says when you receive power, you, boldness comes along with that. Does that make sense? Yeah. They were bold. So Peter, we, we see that, that he was bold. And if you read, if the, 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 there's other writings that, that, that were written in history around the time when the Bible was written, when Peter was alive, and there's other writings that say that, that Peter was, he, he died a martyr. He, he, was, he, he died on a cross and the, the, the writings tell us that, that, Jesus, that, that Peter was ashamed to, to die the same way that Christ was crucified. And it says that he was crucified on a, on a cross upside down. So that's what it says. So what changed? You know, I believe there was two things that changed. The resurrection, when he saw that Jesus came out of that tomb and the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost, Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit and he was bold, the Bible says. So, so we have to be bold. So we need to do two. We have to ask the Lord to give us a spirit of boldness, and then we have to, by faith, believe when we open up our mouth and speak for Jesus, boldness will be activated. When I open, I, when I speak for Jesus. See, the flesh doesn't want to do any of these things. The spirit inside of you is saying, tell them about Jesus. Mention Jesus. Tell them Jesus loves them. Tell them they need that Jesus has a purpose, a plan. Say something about Jesus. That's the spirit inside of you doing that. And the flesh is saying, no, it's, you, you'll be embarrassed. You, you'll be rejected. You, it, won't, it won't make any sense. Don't shut up and don't say anything. we got to obey what the spirit's saying. And then God says, when we speak, boldness, boldness will come. So that's one of the things that, that the, uh, the, the spirit gave. See, Peter was neither afraid or ashamed. Uh, we have nothing to be afraid of. What, what are we ashamed of? If, if the, if the, Christ has really changed us and forgiven us and given us eternal life. Why are we ashamed? Paul, Paul said, I, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. We, what do we, we're not ashamed. This is what God has done for me. I want to tell somebody else, look what God did. Look what Jesus has done for me. So the next thing we see the Holy Spirit brought to the church is in Acts 2.21. I'm going to skip down and read to verses 32 to 36. It says, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, 
He has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. The next thing we see is the revelation of Jesus. The revelation of Jesus. Um, Peter, Peter stood up boldly, but Peter didn't speak a message from Peter. Peter stood up and spoke the message of the gospel, the message of salvation, the, the message of the cross, the, the message of, of Jesus Christ. And this is one of the things we see when we talk about the role of the Holy Spirit. Um, one of the primary roles and purposes of the Holy Spirit is to reveal to us who Jesus is. In other words, it, we, we need, and think about this, I need a revelation of Jesus. I, I need to know that, that he's more than just a man, that, that he's my savior, that he's the son of God, all those things. On our own, in our own intellect, in our mind, our, we will never have a revelation of who Jesus is. But when the Holy Spirit comes, and when the Holy Spirit brings revelation, then all of a sudden the blinders are removed. And now I can see clearly that's Jesus. That, that's the Son of God. That's a, that's a work that can only be done by the Holy Spirit. A denomination can't do that. You can't teach that. You can't preach that. The Holy Spirit brings the revelation of who Jesus is. Yeah. That happened on, when, 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 when Paul, when Saul was on the road to Damascus. Remember Saul? That's a perfect example of that. He, he believed in God, but he didn't believe in Jesus. See, a lot of people out there, they believe God. They believe, yeah, I believe God, but as soon as you mention Jesus, they get a little uneasy. Well, you can't believe in God without believing in Jesus. So the Bible says Paul was on a road to Damascus with, with letters of approval and authority to go and persecute Christians, that he thought he was doing a, good, a, a favor to God, that he was, he was wiping out these people that believed in the name of Jesus. But what happened, the Bible says Jesus met, Jesus met Saul on the road to Damascus. And the Bible says his eyes were blinded. He, he was blinded. I believe that was a, it was a physical blindness, but that was a spiritual blindness. Paul needed to be blind to the things that he saw so he could see the things that God sees. And the Bible says something like scales fell off of his eyes, and all of a sudden Paul became a different person. He wrote, he wrote most other than the Gospels. Paul is responsible for writing most of the New Testament a changed person by the revelation of the Holy Spirit. The, see, the Holy Spirit, that, 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 that's the reveal of that. That's what the Holy Spirit does. So Peter, in this sermon, was confirming when the day of Pentecost came, he was, he was confirming this is a fulfillment of prophecy. What did Peter say? These men aren't drunk, as you supposed. This was prophesied by the prophet Joel, that in these last days, the Bible said, God will pour out his Spirit on all mankind. That was a, so Peter was declaring that this was a fulfillment of prophecy, and he was also affirming that this is what Jesus said would happen, that when I go to heaven, I'm going to send my Holy Spirit. So Peter understood this was a confirmation. This is what Jesus promised. It's happening. So those two, those two things confirmed to Peter this was accurate. And, of course, we know where the Bible says, where Peter said the last days, that's not, a lot of people think the, that means the last days right right before Christ returns. That's not what that's talking about. The last days is talking about an age, in, a, a time in, in, in history, which we are living right now in that history, in that time of history. 
is from the time of Christ to the time Christ returns. It's the church age. It's the age of mercy and grace. It's the age of forgiveness that God is calling that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's the, that's the last days. And God said in those days he would what? Pour out his spirit. Thank you, Jesus. That's the, this is the time God chose us to be living in. And I'm glad we are in these days that we get to experience and see all the things that God is doing. So Peter, operating in the power of the Holy Spirit, gave the truth of who Jesus was. So he was, he was preaching Jesus to them. He declared you must call on the name of the Lord Jesus. He declared that Jesus was raised to life, and he declared that Jesus was, in fact, the promised Messiah, that this was the, 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 the man you crucified was Jesus. He was the promised one, the Savior, the, the, the Messiah. See, the Holy Spirit, watch this, is given to point the world to Jesus. Amen. This is so important for you to understand this. Churches can do a lot of things, and we do a lot of things, but I, don't, I think everything we do, I hope, is pointing everybody to Jesus. There was that we don't want to ever do too much where we get sidetracked where other things become bigger than him, Amen. if that makes sense. The Holy Spirit's role is to point everybody to Jesus. The role of this church, ultimately, we do a lot of things. We pray, we encourage, we pray for healing, uh, we teach, we disciple, we, 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 we counsel, we, we do all those different things. But what is the ultimate goal of, of this church? That somebody might get saved, that they might get born again, that they might confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord. So we speak the word, we, 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 are, we, are, we are just vessels. That's all you are. Don't, don't get too high on your horse because you ain't nothing more than just a mouthpiece. That's all we are. But when we speak the word, the Bible says the Holy Spirit is the one that activates the revelation that this is Jesus. So it takes the pressure off of us because we say, well, I went and shared with these people and they didn't receive. So what is the first thing we say? I failed. I didn't fail. I was obedient. I, I, did what, I did what Scripture says. I shared the Scripture. The Holy Spirit is the one. God, it's, it's God's responsibility to bring the revelation of who Jesus Christ is. And, that, and that's, what this, that's what this church does. So um, our mission is that people will come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. This is another quote that I came across with Matthew, with, um, Matthew Henry I thought was, was good. It says, Christ scholars never learn above their Bible. And the Spirit is not given to supersede the Scriptures, but to enable us to understand and improve the Scriptures. I thought that was so good, because see, again, and I'm not, I'm not condemning or criticizing charismatics. We are probably considered a charismatic church. But sometimes in our charismatic movements, we can get beyond what the Bible says, and we can begin to operate and do things that aren't biblical, if you follow what I'm saying. Things that we've interpret things that we've said this is what God does it's so important for us to stay grounded in the scriptures and what does the Bible say the Holy Spirit is not given for an emotion it's not it's not any it's not a it's not a feeling it's not well I don't I don't like I'm gonna wait I'm gonna wait a few minutes we're gonna sit here and I'm gonna wait I'm gonna feel the Holy Spirit it's not that it's a truth the Holy Spirit is the truth do you understand what I'm saying? It's not a feeling. It's not an emotion. It's a, it's a fact. It, it, the Holy Spirit, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So we receive that. So 
I, I thought when you said that it was so good, the Holy Spirit is not given to supersede the Scriptures. It's not given to take us outside of Scriptures. It's, it's keeping us grounded in what the Scriptures say and to enlighten and reveal to us what the Bible says. Isn't that good? See, God, God had this all mapped out for us. He, he, didn't, leave us, he didn't leave us alone. And um, Romans 10, 15 says, How can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Amen. I mean, isn't that so awesome? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel. Yeah. Galatians, Paul said, which is, he said, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. Paul said if anybody preaches something else different than what, than what Christ preached, than the, than, the, than the message of salvation, he said let that man be accursed. This church will never preach anything but the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what we preach. It might not be fun. It might not be entertaining. It might not be the most receptive message. And all that kind of stuff. It might not have all the bells and all the whistles. But this church is going to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what we do. See, we are witnesses. We are witnesses for Jesus. Peter boldly became a witness for Jesus. Um, Jesus said, you will be my witnesses. And the word witness in the Greek is the word martyrs, M-A-R-T-U-R-E-S, which is the same word as martyr. Um, and the description of the, the, says that the believer is to be so committed to reaching men that he is ready to die as a martyr if need be. There was that, that, that the, the message of the cross should be so urgent for the church that if we have to die in doing so, we should be willing to die. That's serious. That, that's serious. So, um, so amen. So this, this church's witnesses, and we're, you know, we're, we're going to do that this afternoon. Um, again, you know, I thought about this. I said, if we didn't, if we didn't, go out into the community and have opportunities to witness, what else would this church do that's more important than that? Like, what, what, else, what are we doing? Like, I, I'm just thinking to myself, it's not, it's, it's not an ungodly thing we're doing. It's a biblical thing. Yeah. And, and again, I'm hoping and to try to get us out of our comfort zone a little bit. And the only way you get out of your comfort zone is if, is if you do something uncomfortable. <laughs> I mean, you, you got to do something that you're not, you don't like to do that. The flesh doesn't want to do that. You know, but you could change a life. We, we, you know, Lisa, we're going to be handing out flyers to invite people tomorrow night. We're going to have, if we have enough people to come, we're going to have two teams. We're going to go back to that trailer park and just hand out a flyer to invite them to come tomorrow night because we've already went door to door and prayed with them and all that. But there's another subdivision that's close that's got like 70 houses that we're going to take those gift bags downstairs and we're going to witness to people. We will, you know, I said, what we're doing, we're not, we're going to invite them to our church and tomorrow night, but really our main reason for, for coming to them is to introduce them to Jesus. And, you know, it's as simple as asking someone, is there anything I can pray with you about? That world out there, they need, they need Jesus. And we have the hope. We have the light, the life of Christ inside of us. And God has, God has given us the, the message, the Bible says, of reconciliation. So, so amen. Well, let's look at the last thing here in verses 37 and 38. It says, when the people heard this, 
This is after Peter preached the first, he preached the first message ever preached, the New, the New Testament church. It says, after the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So the next thing we see here is the conviction of sin. The conviction of sin. See, the Bible says after Peter stood up, he, he preached really the message of the cross, that, that Jesus was in fact this Messiah. He was the Savior. You nailed him to a cross, but God resurrected him from the dead. And whosoever shall call upon his name, the Bible says, shall be saved. So Peter's preaching this message. Now think about this. Peter's just a man. He, he's, just, he's just speaking these words. But as, as Peter was speaking, see, the Holy Spirit was working with him right alongside him, and it was bringing inspiration and understanding to the people of what it was that Peter was saying. So as Peter was speaking, as the Bible says, they were cut, they were cut to the heart. In other words, they were troubled. They were, they were moved. And, they, and they, all they could think was, what, what shall we do? What do we do? Peter said, get saved. Get saved. See, that's what you want when you speak the word of God. You want the Holy Spirit doing what? Bringing the conviction. That people need to be convicted. They need the revelation and they need the conviction of their sin. You can't convict them. I'm not, we're not appointed to go tell somebody how bad they are. Most people already know that they're a sinner. The church doesn't need to go tell someone, here's all the sins that you're doing. The church needs to go tell them you can be born again and you can be forgiven of all your sins. And then, then the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, comes and brings the conviction. So that's what happened to me when I, I told you when I was 16 years old. I was sitting in an, in an auditorium filled with thousands of young people my age. And I'm all the way in the middle. And he's given, the, the pastor of preachers given the invitation. And I felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And I began to weep. I knew I was in church. I was involved in the youth group. I was singing. We, we used to go singing different things and all that kind of stuff. But I was, I was doing things. I knew it was ungodly. It wasn't, in other words, it didn't line it with what God wanted. So when he gave that invitation, the conviction of the Holy Spirit fell, and I began to weep. Yeah. I, I couldn't stop. I, I just couldn't. Where, where did that come from? It wasn't that man. That was the Holy Spirit. Yes, so we pray that, see, in John 16, 8, it says, and this is Jesus. Listen to what he said. It says, and he, when he comes, will convict the world about the guilt of sin and the need for a Savior and about righteousness and about judgment. See, that's what you need to pray. When you pray for your family members, your, your lost family, you know, children, some of us have spouses, whatever, pray that the Holy Spirit convicts them. Not that you convince them and you try to talk them into it and, and all that kind of stuff. That's not what the Bible says. We speak the truth in love, the Bible says, but the Holy Spirit is the one that brings the conviction. So I pray, you know, for, for my wayward children and for people when I pray for salvation, you know what I pray? God, give them a soul, give them a soul salvation. Give them a soul conversion. Because you see, it's better that God shows them who he is than I show them who they are, who he is. Because when God shows them who Jesus really is, it's over with. There's no doubt that they're going to know this is Jesus Christ. It wasn't from a man, it was from the Holy Spirit. So we pray the conviction we pray the conviction of the Holy Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit brings conviction, then it does what? It tells us you need Jesus. See, it's always pointing us to us to Jesus. Not to a religion, not to acting better and being a better person. You need Jesus. That's the role. 
That's the role of the Holy, of the Holy Spirit. So, um, again, this, and I'm going to conclude this next week, I believe this is really more than just a, a, a preaching message, it's a teaching message. And, and sometimes, like I said, it's, it's, some of us need to kind of, kind of come down a little bit from our emotional high and it's not wrong to be emotional. We, we can do all this, but sometimes we get lost in emotion and we lose the, the facts or the truth of what the Bible says. So it's almost like God's kind of bringing us back down to earth a little bit and showing us this is what the Holy Spirit's for. Yes, tongues is part of it. That was the, that was the, the evidence that was given. But man, if that's all that there is, we've missed it. That there's so much more that the Holy Spirit d- d- does for us. And we are, we are, we are spirit-filled. We, we, we better be spirit-filled. We, we better be moved by the Holy Spirit, enabled by the Holy Spirit, all those different things. Yes, we are a spirit-filled church. Thank you, Jesus, that we have the Holy Spirit. We, he enables us to do everything that we do for him. Amen. Amen. Well, praise God. You can stand to your feet, please.